our beloved chiropractic profession faces challenges like never before. These challenges come from not only outside the profession, but also from within. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Braille, and I've had the opportunity to see this profession as a practitioner, a teacher, an administrator, and a politician. In my over 40 years in chiropractic, I've just about seen it all. Join me on Cairo Rants for an honest and no-holds-barred discussion about all aspects of chiropractic practice, politics, education, and philosophy. We'll talk about subjects that most only want to whisper about, and we'll interview the leaders in our profession to get some straight-up answers. If you're looking for a politically correct chiropractic discussion, this is not the place. Welcome to Cairo Rants. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Cairo Rants. Uh, I want to apologize, first of all, to our listeners. We haven't been on a little bit uh, between family and holidays has kind of held us back here a little bit. We are just a few days away from Christmas at the recording of this particular video, uh, excuse me, audio. And uh, I thought we might revisit a subject that we did uh, months and months ago, chiropractic students. And I have with me now a, a guest, a uh, soon-to-be doctor of chiropractic, uh, Edward. He was going to be interning here in our clinic. And I thought I might uh, speak with him a little bit because education has obviously changed as of recently. And to get a little bit of views, uh, some of his views about what's going on in chiropractic education and then how it relates to us. So, uh, Edward, welcome to uh, Cairo Rants, our podcast here. How are you today? Thank you for having me and doing very well, sir. Okay. So, uh, my first question is, how did you get into chiropractic? What's your chiropractic story? My chiropractic story is a lot like most people's. Uh, chiropractic chose me, right? So, when I was about 18, I got injured and I went to a chiropractor. And do you want the long story or the nice, short, sweet story? Well, either one is fine by me. <laughs> okay. So, long story, because it's a little interesting. Um, I didn't believe in chiropractors. I'd heard bad things my whole life. And I was forced to go to one for the insurance to pay for the injury. And then he changed my life. The day after I went to the chiropractor was the first day in my life I didn't have severe migraines and. I was actually able to function without pain, playing sports and everything. Now, migraines, was that part of what the accident had to do with or no? No, no. I'd had migraines. The My earliest memories in my childhood are actually me curled up in a closet for the darkness. You know, so probably fourth grade, no, first grade was, that's like my first memory is having a migraine. So actually, the, the fact that you had an injury was very much of a, I guess, a godsend because it got you to the chiropractor where not only did they deal with that, but you wound up losing migraine, something you'd had much longer. That was an issue. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I said it chose me, right? Like I had the opportunity. So one of my cousins actually went to life and became a chiropractor and she was telling me several times, let me adjust you. Let me adjust you. Let me adjust you. And again, I was afraid of chiropractors and didn't understand what they did and thought about a lot of negative things. Right. And then to get the insurance to pay for it, you're right, God kind of forced me into it. So I went in and I was actually talking to the doc and I was like, look, you're not going to touch me. Just tell these people you adjusted me, whatever you need to do on this paperwork so I can get my insurance money so I can get my face fixed. I had uh, busted my face up real bad and needed some reconstructive surgery. 
And he worked really diligent with me to explain the nervous system, to explain what he did, um, the, the pops, what those were, how not to be afraid of them, how we could manage the adjustment in a way where I wouldn't hear all the cracking and stuff going on in my neck. And then after that, I mean, it absolutely was a godsend. I mean, I'm not kidding because I'm 6'2", 220 pounds. I was the captain of the football team. I was the captain of the wrestling team. I played on um, 4x400 in track, right? So I'm a big guy, and I'm the next day in his office crying on this guy's shoulders like a little kid. Like, I don't know what you did, but that was like it's the first time I didn't even know you could feel like that. I didn't know pain wasn't just a normal everyday thing. And I'd been to the hospital several times where I would be in so bad pain, I would actually pass out. And I was always, oddly enough, walking down the stairs. So I've gone through sheetrock walls into garages and all kinds of fun stuff. Doors with windows. So how old were you when this happened? How old were you when you first went to the chiropractor? I was 18 years old. And I will never forget it. And so that was basically the experience, the, the miracle in chiropractic that you had mm -hmm. that uh, made you say, I'm going to pursue this. Absolutely. Uh, I did spend, a, so I actually ended up going to Georgia Tech and I spent about 12 years. At that time, I was also in computers. My dad was into computers. Um, and I spent some time pursuing that, thinking that was my dream or my passion. But I didn't really have a lot of opportunities to help individual people or help people. So it got, it kept, chiropractic kept getting put back into my life and kept getting put back into my life. And every time I'd come home, uh, the doctor who actually helped me initially would tell me, he was like, man, I'm telling you, you're missing your calling. You would be an amazing chiropractor. You need to go to school and you need to do this with your life. And so I sold my IT company in 2015 after a few like personal issues and I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I farmed for two years and I started talking to people and everybody that I met, not everyone, but a lot of the people that I met, I ended up realizing that I was helping them kind of go to a chiropractor or understand what chiropractic was and how it helped me and get people to go get their spines checked. And then at one point I uh, was sitting in a, my apartment complex by a river and I had an intern walk up to me I didn't know he was an intern he walks up and he goes hey man uh, I'm an intern I just got one of my patients canceled on me at Life University for our student clinic would you come be my patient right now and I was no joke at that moment praying about what is it that I should do with my life because I was having some financial struggles with the farm right cost about forty thousand dollars a year to put uh, resources in the dirt and hoping it comes back to you and he couldn't have answered that prayer any more clearly. So I got up right then, went in with this kid, and started going through the process of being a patient and outpatient clinic. And then that's what roped me into going to school. And this was at Life. Mm-hmm. Life so, University. So the choice was simple for you. You were, first of all, from this area. Absolutely. And so it wasn't a question of you had to go searching a bunch of schools. You just knew when you were going to be a chiropractor, you were going to go to Life. I didn't honestly even look at other schools because Life University... After I talked to three or four docs, they all said Life University. There are other schools. And I grew up in my backyard, basically neighbored Sid Williams, who was the guy who founded Life University. So it's like God put me in the place I needed to be, and I didn't have to really go look hard for it. Okay. So 
now you're, you're at life. You're in your uh, last couple of quarters here that you've got left. Uh, you're going to be starting internship officially with us here in uh, next month. Um, what would you say has been your experience as far as education? And let's break this down into pre-pandemic. Okay. You know, so, so up to uh, 2019, let's not go into 20 yet. But what, what would you feel your experience has been at life prior to the pandemic? That is a very interesting question. Um, I love Life University because of the opportunities that it affords me, right? It's um, pre-pandemic. And I realize there's nothing to compare it to because you've not been to other schools. Right, yeah. I mean, unless, and I've, I've had the opportunity to speak at a lot of schools so I can see the difference in the education. So really all you have to compare it to is other education not chiropractic education. Correct, yeah. So, I mean, the only other school I've actually ever been to was Sherman because that's a school that's in South Carolina. And sometimes when we have seminars, we go back and forth. Um, so pre-pandemic, my schooling was... It was definitely different. It was hard. I mean, chiropractic school is not easy. We're learning... We're in 13 classes a quarter. We have 10 weeks, right? So we're spending... I did the math one time because I'm a nerd. And we were reading essentially a textbook every week if you added up all the chapters from all 13 glasses, right? And then we're taking a test every other week or a quiz or something. And our quizzes aren't like, oh, you get a quiz, you did a bad grade, it's okay. A lot of them are actually practical. So if you miss like a Metacomp area, then you're not allowed to progress until you rectify whatever that issue is that you're experiencing. So it was uh, after being, I graduated undergrad from Georgia Tech in 2009 and I didn't go back until 2017 so you know you got an eight-year layoff there which for anyone is actually even in itself a hurdle to overcome so that was actually I enjoyed it as with everything um, there are things that I'm not I don't necessarily like about the school but no place is perfect so it was the best. It, it served the vitalistic mentality. It served um, all the things that I was looking to do through chiropractic, Life University offered. So what you're basically I'm hearing is that, first of all, it was more rigorous than you thought it might be. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people don't kind of know. Um, you know, chiropractic school... I remember when I went, and this is, you know, obviously many decades ago, won't go into how many, but <laughs> many decades ago, but it was more rigorous than even I thought it was back then. Mm. Uh, when I went to school, college, uh, and I decided in my first year of college what I wanted to do, so I then focused my education towards that. But I, I found most of my college education not difficult. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have to really buckle down to, you know, obtain decent grades. Uh, when I got into chiropractic school, that was a quick reversal. Yeah, uh, that same life. effort drew low grades and immediately <laughs> had to change how I approach study and work mm. uh, to get decent grades. You know, I was never, a, uh, I wasn't a, like a, you know, scholar coming out of New York Chiropractic College. Um, I used to jokingly say I, I graduated summa cum lucky. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, so, so now then we've hit the uh, pandemic thing, and, and I know most of the education has gone remote. Yes. Uh, how is that? Uh, now, you know, I mean, high school, math, social studies, 
I can see an avenue to do that. But you've got clinical subjects here. Right. How do you deal with uh, the clinical subjects on a remote level? So that's a very interesting topic. And Life University is doing the best that they can, but you do lose something without being in clinic. Uh, one of the things that was actually kind of initially an issue for us was not even when we went remote, but even before. So chiropractic school used to have cadavers, right? And cadaver lab is very essential if you listen to any chiropractor who's ever basically had it because it allows you to dissect the human body and trace these nerves that we're actually talking about in a uh, theoretical sense, if you will. And we had transitioned from cadavers to a giant iPad. It's like a four foot by six foot iPad table thing. And you can manipulate a 3D body in that way, but it, you still lose the hands-on experience. So this was before pandemic. They Correct. transitioned away from cadavers mm -hmm. into this virtual cadaver, I would imagine, um, technology. Exactly. And you can you start at the skin, and you can go through all 13 major systems, and you can see the bones. And, and it's, very, it's very cool, and it's very unique. But even at that level, before pandemic, we were having conversations on campus about, is it good to do this? Because we're essentially taking a step away from our getting hands-on, right? Now, you don't know why they went that way, do you? I mean, Money. It wasn't a legalistic issue or anything mm -hmm. like that. I don't yeah. know. Just as an, a quick <laughs> aside to, to take away from it, when I went to school in New York, it was illegal for chiropractic colleges to have cadavers. Really? Other schools had them. We had rhesus monkeys, so we <laughs> dissected and learned the anatomy on rhesus monkeys and then tried to translate that into human anatomy, minus a tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few extra things in there. Yeah, it was totally different, and, and I would have loved to have had a virtual ability, to be honest. It would have been far above dissecting a rhesus monkey, which is... You know, not a not a quarter of the size of a human. <laughs> yeah, it's not even close. Um, but but go ahead. So and so to get to the the question, which is how was the transition to online? It was very, um, it's very good for certain classes. But when you're talking about clinical application, if you're talking about palpation, adjusting things where you actually need to be in there and interacting with a patient and getting your hands on and practicing with your fellow colleagues or your cohort or whatever, that is where you kind of take a hit, right? So now they're closing down seminars because we're not able to go do these out, outside of school if you're not in chiropractic school. One of the things that we do to supplement our, our school education, because you, you have basically two educations you're getting simultaneously, you're getting the schooling education to pass your boards, right? We're in as many hours in class as a medical doctor. We just don't take prescriptions and we don't take uh, surgery. We replace those with subluxation theories and a few adjusting classes and things like that. But in terms of physiology and in terms of all your basic sciences and all of your rudimentary things, those are all, especially in radiology, we out, we spend more time in the classroom than any other medical profession on those. But then when you, you know, get... the hours are, are equivalent or even higher in chiropractic for most of your 
physiologies and uh, um, your certainly your radiology. Yes. Uh, the difference being in your area of specialty is your hands-on adjusting palpation skills mm -hmm. versus your surgical and pharmacologies. Absolutely, yeah. So now on a virtual level, you're doing that mainly online. Mm -hmm. um, you're being tested online. Everything is online. Yes, remote proctors. And, and I can see on the scientific aspects uh, of physiology, microbiologies, those mm -hmm. kind of things. Um, you know, the only difference is sitting in class, I, you know, you could fall asleep, <laughs> which you could probably do at home. But uh, how do they regulate the fact that you're there in front of the screen or that you're doing it? So different professors have different ways of going about it. And at first they tried to mandate classes, but that became a nightmare because certain people's internets would be going in and out. And sometimes the professor themselves, their internet, that's actually the biggest issue. The professor's internet at say their home office or whatever doesn't work. So they're recording the classes. And most of the time now we have a lot more work online because to validate our attendance, we have to go take an attendance quiz over the material, whereas before we were taking a quiz every three weeks or so, we're taking a quiz sometimes multiple times a week for every course. So now we will have 23, 24 quizzes in a week, and they cover actual substantial details. So that was the way they kind of got around that. Do you feel you're doing more hours now because Absolutely. of it being So you're actually spending more time learning mm -hmm. than you were, especially in the, the, the non-clinical science courses, than you were prior to it in your uh, sitting in a classroom kind of a scenario. Absolutely. So in, in classroom base, you have four hours, say, on the class and then for the week. So maybe you'll have a class on Monday and a class on Wednesday. And then you can expect to spend that amount, maybe 50% to 100% of that, outside of the class studying for it. Now that you've transitioned to online, the teachers have actually kind of given us a substantial increase in the workload. So we'll have more to read and we'll have more PowerPoints. If the class is supposed to be a two hour class, we'll have five or six hours worth of recorded PowerPoints and videos, plus the readings, plus the quizzes, and plus a few other things like assignments that now we're responsible for. So the workload actually substantially increased in classes like that. Now, Swapping from that over to your clinicals, mm -hmm. um, because obviously I see how it'll work on the on the more science-based, physiology-based, although it, it increases your workload. The clinical, the hands-on, it, it's going to be difficult to replace that. So how are they dealing with the clinical aspects, the part where you'd be interacting with patients, you're adjusting mm. your palpation skills? How is that being handled on a virtual level? So on a virtual level, when it comes to learning a technique, which is part of the clinical aspect, um, it's handled as best as they can currently with everything being mandated off, off campus. They will, if you have a roommate or something that you're always in contact with, they expect you to set up and demonstrate virtually on Zoom calls your technique. But then when you move into the actual clinic side of things, Student clinic, they just now got open this quarter, I believe, maybe last quarter. Um, everything's completely different. Before we would have 100 people in there on the floor, you know, we have patients, we have interns, and we have docs. And now it's like you have 10 people on the floor, everybody's 15 feet apart, you can't use but every third table, 
docs have to observe, everybody's wearing face masks, the whole nine yards. But Life University did a kind of a fairly intelligent thing is they made the director of the clinic system. So we have two cl- primary clinics. We have the student clinic and the outpatient clinic. The student clinic is where we as students get our first experience with hands-on um, clinical management. So we have to get a patient. We have to take our first physicals, get them in the systems, do all of that. Now, with you, that would have done been done before the pandemic, correct? Correct. So your student clinic experience was pre-pandemic. Yes, sir. Your outpatient clinic was partially during pandemic. It has been completely during pandemic. How is that being handled uh, from a a clinic standpoint, from taking care of patients? Right. How is that being handled? So that's where life made really smart change. My first quarter off clinic, or my first quarter off campus for outpatient clinic, we weren't allowed to adjust. We couldn't open the clinic. We couldn't get hands-on. We would, you know, six months before we go into outpatient, we have to get real people off the streets to come into the clinic. So we've been selling, 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 handing out business cards the whole nine. And that first quarter, they're not allowed to open. They can't open the doors. So Life University appointed um, somebody who is an, both a DC as well as an MD to be the director of the clinic so that now, since he's in charge of it, it's considered um, not primary, but like essential. essential. Thank you. Now, I'm, I'm a little unclear about that because as a chiropractor in my own clinic, I'm essential. Right. So I did not have to close any time during this uh, pandemic process. And most of the chiropractors know the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're saying the clinic actually had to close until they could put an MD in it? Because it was a teaching facility or your best understanding of that? That is the understanding I was given, that we weren't allowed to open because of the fact that we weren't an essential facility because I feel, it may have been because we're on campus, right? Even though we're seeing real patients in the real world and adjusting them, for whatever reason, they actually had to close the clinic. All of our stuff was like online quizzes, like refreshers, like how is this listing, how is that listing for my first quarter. Then they up they uh, promoted this DCMD to be the director so that we could use that to make sure that we were covering all of our bases as an essential operation, and then we were allowed to open. I don't understand everything. I just know that that got us open. Yeah, I'm, I'm not clear. I, mean, I don't want to put you on the spot for that one because you, you wouldn't be the person who'd have the knowledge right. to make that decision. But in essence, though, your first part of your outpatient clinic experience was not allowed to see patients. My first third was not. So allowed. now that you now that you were able to, what was then taking place? How was that being handled? It was handled very well, honestly, on the school's part. So basically, we're doing all the extra cleaning. We're doing all the temperature checks to get on and off campus. The the patients themselves are doing all the temperature checks, and we were back to being fully functional. So we were hands on adjusting patients selling to patients, getting new patients coming in the door, the whole nine yards. It was just like normal clinic, but we had masks and extra cleaning slash precautionary measures. Okay. Now you've completed your clinic, outpatient clinic experience. Yes, sir. And now you'll be, as of January, officially, and we're a couple of weeks from that for those who are listening, you're uh, officially be starting in a outpatient, uh, excuse me, in a peak uh, real outside clinic facility, this one here. And I've been privileged enough to have you here a handful of times as kind of your pre-training so you get to see how this functions. 
What are your observations as to the difference in a real setting NIST clinic as opposed to in the school setting? What do you see as the, the differences you've noticed so far? Ooh, um, one of the biggest for us is that a, is that a lot of our in-school clinic will take excessive amounts of time just because they're making us go through all of the hoops for educational purposes. We not necessarily need to do certain orthopedic exams, but they will make us do an orthopedic exam. So it really extends the patient. It takes away from the patient's time as well. So they're not very happy and all of that. And there's also a lot more of like a camaraderie here. Like um, your patients know you, they see you on a daily, they're not switching interns every six months. They, they obviously love you. They stick with you for years. Y'all have stories. It's more like what I always imagined taking care of a patient would be like, right? Like you care about the human being. It's called a real practice. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> and so when you care and you can tell that they feel comfortable, they feel safe, they know the level of quality of the adjustment, they know that you're going to do everything correctly, it's a lot less nervous even from the patient standpoint, right, in here as compared to being on campus. Like you may be a great adjuster as a student, but the patient doesn't necessarily know that because they've had three interns before you and maybe one of them wasn't the best of adjusting, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's definitely the camaraderie and there's the the tools. You don't spend a lot of time spinning your wheels on things that aren't needed to help the patient but to just help me learn how to run an EHR, uh, electronic health record system. Now, as far as you're uh, speaking with a patient, is it is it drastically different in a, in a setting like what you've seen here and the few times you've been here versus what you have to say or do when you're in the clinic setting at the school? That's, is it drastically different? Well, so I actually took a few things like, the patient education aspect that we get here in the real practice, right, is much better. So we do a much better job of trying to explain to the patient what it is that's going on and how we're going, what it is that as a chiropractor is our responsibility and is not our responsibility versus in clinic at school, you, you're kind of, the focus is completely different. Right. Like the focus is just getting people in and making sure that you're getting your understanding and your feet wet and everything rolling. Well, I think the purpose of a, of a clinical experience at a chiropractic school, any chiropractic school, is the education of the future chiropractor. Right. Whereas in this setting and as a peak student, that is still part of my responsibility as, as your peak doctor. But it's mainly about the patients are first here. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know it's about them, exactly. and then getting you to see that, right. and what you say, what you do, how you don't say it, little tips and things about adjusting, which would come with experience anyway. But uh, certainly you'll see that here. What would you say at this particular point, uh, this early on, you're, you're looking to learn that maybe you hadn't gotten from school so far? So for me. What I don't, my end goal is to help as many people as I can possibly help, right? And in the clinic system, in terms of that, they don't really teach you patient management. They don't teach you how to do the scheduling. They don't teach you the um, report of findings. They don't teach you how to go through the education classes and things like that. 
So that would probably learning how to help as many people as possible and doing it efficiently and all the systems and the processes and the procedures that we're not taught how to run a clinic. We're not taught how to be business savvy. Now we have a business class, but it's not nearly as in depth, right? Like here we're learning, this is the x-ray machine. We're doing all of this for this specific reason so that when we come in tomorrow, everything is efficient and it's already ready to run and the thermal scans are ready to go in the whole nine yards. And that's a very, that's a big missing piece. I know one of the things that they, and I imagine it's got to be almost impossible to teach there is, and I and I, I harp on this a lot, is what's called flow. Yes. Yeah. In other words, anticipate what has to happen with the patient and the series of patients coming in mm-hmm. so that you are prepared for that without an issue. Mm. You know, where your staff has to be, what has to be said. And I know I harp on this a lot uh, with all of my interns that I've had is something you say on this visit is going to be reflected on something you say later. Especially like during an exam process, how you speak to the patient, what you say will be important because of how you're giving the report of findings days later. And if you don't make it consistent, if you don't make it uh, somewhat to to conform to what is necessary for them to know, there's going to be holes later on. Absolutely. And in an educational setting, that's not necessarily at the school something that's a focus because that's not the, the purpose there. Right. Now, I know we do a lot less than you're going to do in school, especially during exam processes. I know your exams take two to three hours, and mine take about 10 to 15 minutes tops. Right. Because uh, mine is very subluxation-focused. I mean, that's where but we're headed here. You don't gain any less information in 10 to 15 minutes. Hour two to three hours is just clicking the right buttons and adding the right things, right? Like, you still get as much information as I would get in two or three hours. It's just a much more efficient flow for the patient. Okay. Um, from a standpoint now, if you were speaking to someone who is a, and I know you have your personal experience, but if you were speaking to a early quarter chiropractic student okay. and they've already made the decision to become a chiropractor, do you have any advice you would give them relative to getting through their education and then through their clinic process uh, that you can give them, that you could share to somebody in first, second quarter or early schooling who's already in chiropractic school. Any advice? Absolutely. So I was actually the lead mentor for the campus as well as the student body president. So this was my job. So once I became year two, which was quarter five, every quarter I had two to four mentees under me. And so this is very similar. And what I would tell them is make sure you don't fall behind, right? But then out of meaning like don't wait till the last minute to study, study in smaller chunks. I was never the guy who had to study. So I had to learn that the hard way the first year. Right. (laughs) Like I was the guy that was like, oh, yeah, I'll study the night before the exam. That does not you cannot learn two chapters worth of information at the level you need to learn it in two or three days. So stay ahead. And then on top of that, get hands on. If you have roommates, which we all do, and if you have the availability to go to seminars, that was the mistake that I made. I kind of waited, I feel like, too long. Now, we're talking quarter five, six, right, to get hands-on. Whereas, like, if you really wanted to accelerate to be the best chiropractor that you can possibly be, you should go get your hands-on training and start now. Because there are doctors that as long as you're a certain quarter will let you, they'll let you, they'll take their hands and their 40 years of experience and put it on a patient and show you and I'm very physical, like I'm a very tactile learner. So if you, if I look at it or if you tell it to me, 
I kind of get it, but as soon as I feel what it is that I'm going to do, and that's how I actually find most chiropractors. I don't know why, but most chiropractors are tactile, not auditory. And so once you show someone, once you get your finger in there and you go to the end range of the joint and all of that, something clicks. And then you immediately become like a whole nother, like a level up from where you were. So if you're going to start young, meaning early quarters, the first thing, and you can do this without adjusting, right? It's called motion palpation. And we palpate the bone, the vertebrae, and the joint to make sure that it is flowing and, and, and actually moving and functioning correctly. So you can do that and practice that. And that was something I didn't have because for the first year I lived alone. I just rented my own house. So now looking back, I would have put together a study group, which may be hard with the pandemic. But again, if you have a roommate, you don't have to worry about that. And gotten myself more more, um, acclimated to using my hands earlier on. Well, I I can tell you from my experience with uh, having had uh, well over 100 interns and peaks over over the years that I've been doing it, that you are certainly one of the more hungry individuals I've had in here, meaning you want to learn. Uh, I've had students come in who thought they knew it all, and I know they don't. <laughs> you know, yeah, no. or, well, this is what I want to do. Uh, and, and granted, yes, you have to have a what you want to do, but you have to be open to learning things you may not have been exposed to in the school. So I want to uh, comment on that, and I want to thank you for your time uh, here on our podcast for sharing your insights as a student and for your dedication to chiropractic and towards a chiropractic future. Absolutely. Thank you for the compliment because I'm definitely, even when I'm 90, there will be something I can learn in this profession. And the more I learn, the more people I can help. Well, I appreciate that. Learning never stops in chiropractic. So thank you. And thank you all for listening to uh, Cairo Rants and uh, tune in soon. Subscribe to our free channel and learn and listen about chiropractic and about uh, our profession. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Subscribe for free and listen to insightful, truthful, and hard-hitting discussions with some of the biggest names in chiropractic. Cairo Rants is sponsored in part by Now You Know Online and in-office educational services. Learn how to expand your educational outreach to your patients and your community at www.nowyouknow.net. The opinions of Cairo Rants are exclusively those of Dr. Braille and do not reflect the opinions of any associations, groups, institutions, or sponsors mentioned in these podcasts. This has been Cairo Rants.